This podcast is sponsored by the American Society for Information Science and Technology. Since 1937, ACIST has been the Society for Information Professionals, leading the search for new and better theories, techniques, and technologies to improve access to information. By the IA Summit. This year, your peers and industry experts spoke about how topics such as social networking, gaming, patterns, tagging, taxonomies, and a wide range of IA tools and techniques help users experience information. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For more events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. It appears that taxonomies are becoming more important to the work we do as metadata and ontologies extend their reach further into user experience. Dave Cooksey demonstrates the value of thinking of taxonomy in terms of the user experience, and not simply as data or classification. He also talks about ways of discussing taxonomy that clearly communicate its value to the business and help promote taxonomies of practice. And finally, how to craft user-centric taxonomy by examining several e-commerce redesign case studies. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. This is a presentation I've been working on for about a year. Um, at GSI Interactive. Part of the work that I do there um, is centered around the user experience. Part of the, the work that I do there is really IA and taxonomy. And one thing that I've noticed, I've, in my own experience, I've gone from a shift of being at the table with wireframes and other kind of documents that talk to the client, the tech teams, and, and uh, other parties about the experience we're going to be building. And I would always find myself saying, so I've got the site map and everything's pretty clear. I've got this taxonomy that was delivered to me from your catalog team. Can we talk about the taxonomy and maybe do some work on it? The answer was always like, no, they own the item master. Let's just move along. Why would you even want to do that? It's ready to go. Fits right into the navigation. Um, we've gone from that about two years ago to now I get emails and phone calls saying, hey, Dave, we need taxonomy because people want to fix this navigational widget. Hey, Dave, we need taxonomy because some of the um, wizards aren't working. Hey, Dave, we need taxonomy. It's, it's very interesting that we've gone from, I haven't even been able to get folks to say the word taxonomy to now where they use it all the time. Um, and in many ways, I think that they're not using it correctly, which is probably my fault because I oversold it. But, you know, that's what I get for being enthusiastic. So we're going to walk through why the business wants it and what we can do to help them wanting it. So they want it, but what do they think it is? Um, do they think it is this classic um, systematics definition, hierarchical systems being created? I don't think so. Um, or do they really think this? It's organizing and classifying stuff. It's a data exercise. It's something the IAs do. This is stuff that's done behind the scenes of what the visual designers are doing to impress everybody. Probably, and this stuff, you know, this perspective is true. Uh, I just think it's limiting. Hopefully they don't think it's this. Um, this image came up in, uh, in uh, Shutterstock when I put in taxidermy. And what's really disturbing about this image is that if uh, some of the definitions I found just putting in Google or Wikipedia about taxidermy is that it is the preservation display of animals and humans for 
various purposes. So. But I actually believe that when I am talking about taxonomy with my clients or my uh, design team, they talk about it from what I've been telling them. So they know about taxonomy from what I've actually told them, directly or indirectly, intentionally or not. So at GSI Interactive, we've, we've been very successful with clients and with business, getting them to understand that taxonomy metadata help the, the user do two things. It helps them find what they want and it helps them make a decision about it. GSI is an e-commerce platform, so I'm all about shopping. So the taxonomies I build are catalogs, and the user tasks that I'm concerned about are finding, um, evaluating, and buying. And another thing that we've been pretty good at telling people is that the good user experiences that we're building rely upon good data. And we show this over and over not by talking about taxonomy or data or integrity or these kinds of things, facets and whatnot. We actually show them examples of where things break down in the UX. We show them how their current UX is limited through navigation or functionality by the data that they actually have in the system. So over time, I've started talking uh, about three things when I reference taxonomy. This will probably drive all of you crazy, kind of drives me crazy. Um, and I'm still working on it. And if anybody has any ideas about how to talk about taxonomy to um, folks in the organization, please, you know, let's have a discussion about that. I think um, <clears throat> I was in Joe Bush and Zach Wall's seminar on Friday. We were talking about this. And Zach said he just tries never to use the word taxonomy, which I think is pretty smart. Um, we talk about taxonomy uh, at, at with our clients is classification and labeling. So it's the tree. And for us, it's really important because that tree that we build for the item master for the catalog, that drives navigation. And it also ends up in search. It just ends up practically everywhere, the way we organize things. Metadata, whether it's structured or not, and I use this very loosely. This, for me, is product information, product photography, uh, non-commerce content, anything that's kind of related to that product ID. We call that metadata. We do that because it makes it really simple strategically for the business to understand what they need to be doing. Um, we also do a lot of work with structured data, but that's more of the, the actually the catalog team and the people who are in charge of the <clears throat> keeping the data ready um, and nice and clean. Then when we talk about the structured data, those attribution value pairs for filtering and for search. Logic, we throw in there any kind of ontological, you know, you, you search for this, but you, did you mean this? Or these things are no longer available, but we think you'll like these. Any kind of mapping that you do to help people out, we call logic. You can call it control vocabulary. You can call it whatever you want. Um, we typically don't do a lot with that when it comes to taxonomy. Um, there are various reasons for that, and we can talk about that in a little bit. So I've talked a little bit about taxonomy, uh, the different perspectives, and the way I've been talking about it. User experience, for me, I love the user experience networks definition. And it has three things that I think are really important. Quality of experience a person has when interacting with a specific design. So interacting, those, that being the actual, um, uh, what the UI is allowing the user to do. And design, I like to point out, is these are the things that we put all that work into to creating everybody on the team. This is, um, these three things kind of work together to allow a user to do something. And then, in our case, is usually websites. We, we want to start taking this further as we think of customer experience. So that would be the call center. This would be fulfillment, so on. I'm sure a lot of you do the same thing in thinking through your experience or what are the customer touch points. Um, and that's why I think a museum or airport is a great example, because it kind of gets people to see that higher level. 
So I've come up with five good ideas for taxonomy projects. And let's just start with the first one, leave your cubicle. This is really easy for me to say, and I kind of stand up here, I feel a little hypocritical sometimes when I say this. Um, GSI Interactive is a warehouse, and we have these Herman Miller pods. Does anybody work in those pods? Do you know what I'm talking about? They're little triangular desks. They're not cubicles. And you have these little screens. So I see the two guys that sit in front of me all day long. I see Mike and Teal, you know, with their computers. And when I'm sitting there trying to work on a branch and I'm focusing and I have people coming up and I hear their conversations and phone calls, um, typically in our office if you have your earbuds in, that means to, you know, don't talk to me. Uh, that doesn't really work. Sometimes I, I go and find a room and I, I shut the door and I, I don't talk to anybody for four hours and I don't answer email or anything because the work that we do is very, very detail-oriented. It takes a lot of attention and it's something that you have to do. When I'm telling you one of the things that you need to be doing is talking to everybody from the client to the developers and get them involved in your project. <clears throat> well, set out some boundaries when, you're, when you, when you uh, start this process of getting folks involved. We set clear timelines with hard stops, and I always tell the client and the business team, guys, we, we could work forever on this, but we can't, so we're going to set some boundaries. We may be 90% done. Let's be happy with 90% once we get there. And we have four distinct phases that we tell them we're doing analysis, and then we're going to go to co-design, where I'll be working with the catalog owners. Then we're going to do some user testing there at the end, and then we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about the governance. They're not distinct in reality, but it simplifies things for everybody involved. It also gets your project manager on your side, and you're going to need that person. Work collaboratively. Um, set up those meetings early on. I like to do affinity sessions with um, the, the client at the very beginning. So we'll talk about what the catalog's gonna be doing, we're gonna talk about their business goals, we're gonna find out what the business goal and the user experience goal are for the project, and then bam, we go to stickies. And this just, to me, just creates buy-in. And if you've ever done these kinds of workshops with your clients, they're gonna resist at first and they're gonna be very unhappy. They're in the back of their mind, they're thinking, why did I hire this person? They're making me do the work. But at the end, when they start seeing some deliverables, they won't push back. And when a VP steps in and says, oh, no, 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 we don't organize this way, they're going to say, don't touch this. This was four hours in a hot conference room with 12 people. So, <clears throat> And think about creating conversations by setting up the workshop, by having these checkpoints where you get on the phone and you speak to them. And it's not about spreadsheets. It, and it's not about your own deliverables. A lot of times, I'll sit in with the design team when they're going over wireframes. And I'll be quiet until the, the IA has gone over all the global navigation. And then I'll pipe in and say, and just to connect some of the points between the different parts of the project, I want to show you how taxonomy is driving your navigation. And then I'll kind of shut up. And then when we get to the actual page templates where uh, facets are being used or other functionalities being driven by the data, I pipe up again. It's because I want them to see where that work is going. Because it's expensive, very hard work, and I want them to see how it's driving the user experience as well. While you're doing your work, you should keep interactions in mind. And you do this because not only it just makes your work better, but it also gives you the ability to talk to these different groups. And also gets you to think about how you can leverage other work that's going on, like the QA cycle. Is there any way you can get QA to test some of the taxo work that's been done, either by looking at navigation or some of the functionality? Give it, you can feed them some things that they can look into just to double check what you've been working on. <laughs> and then I point out implementation. Because in my case, I don't own the catalog. I'm helping design it, and I'm representing the user and the business, but I, 
and the, and the design interests, trying to, to keep all those coordinated, but I don't actually own it. Who actually owns your catalog? Just a couple of people? Okay, I thought it would be more. So this is, I think this is really valuable advice because what you design, you're not gonna implement. You need those people to implement it and nine times out of 10, they're not gonna do things one, the way that they really should. So start talking about quality, start talking, give them checklists. I've never met uh, <clears throat> someone who's in charge of something as, as wild as a taxonomy or a catalog who, who's not happy to get a checklist. Oh, this is exactly what you want? I can do this, no problem. Look for other projects to piggyback on. Um, the, those teams are very busy and you're asking them to do work for you. Hopefully you have sponsorship that's come in and said, this is important guys, work with Dave. Um, but uh, they have other work going on and see how you can leverage that. And, and also see if you can fix some of their own problems by the, uh, the work that you're doing, help them out. So this is the classic business design divide that I always See, I think that's also business technology, design technology, user business, user design, everything. I think that there's a real opportunity because we're in a unique position of seeing, as IAs and information specialists, we see a lot of the moving parts. We can actually bridge that gap. The second good idea when doing these projects is to focus on interactions, which I've briefly talked about. Keep them in mind. Um, because the taxonomy and the, the metadata work that you're doing can drive the user experience and you want to inform the team that's working on that and make sure there's a dialogue. This is a gift finder um, from Bath and Body Works. And, and basically on the left, these are all just attributes that have been set up. Each product is, is tagged a attribute value pair and you can drive things like who's getting the gift, pricing, uh, different kinds of categories. Fragrance is big when shopping for these kinds of items. So you can also pick out, you know, someone likes the cherry blossom fragrance, so they're able to, um, to, to shop that way. And metadata becomes very, very important for these highly interactive experiences, because if it's not there and it's not right, things can break pretty easily. So try to make that connection in your work and also the communication you're making with all the teams that data drives experience. And your designers and your developers and interaction designers, those folks are gonna be very happy. And you're trying to say, hey, you know, this is what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. You have checkpoints with them where you can look at their designs and go, uh, we, can't, we don't have that functionality yet, we're gonna have it, you need to be careful here. They, they love that stuff, because it, it, it keeps them looking good. And also while you're doing this, try to sell quality and implementation with them and make them understand that the data is really, really important for the work that they're doing as well. So making that connection, this is just a Taxo breakout for, we have different departments, so team sports and racket sports, this is for uh, a project I did for Dick Sporting Goods. But that, this, the client didn't even say anything about that. But the client went ape when he saw this because then he actually understood, it was, it's the same exact data, it's just represented differently, that the departments actually form fly-downs and, and drop-down navigation, and this is the way that people can find things. And then this really got them going, especially when they saw the prototype and they saw things moving. Um, then they thought like, yes, okay, the taxonomy work that we were doing is very important because now it's actually driving a very new web experience. I tried to get an old screenshot of this too and before it was all static links on the homepage which a lot of us have seen in, um, in the past and a lot, it uh, just simply didn't work. There's another example. This is just a tree in Excel spreadsheet uh, form. But it's really cool when you can show them top level navigation but here are the categories represented inside navigation and also in um, image form. 
And this is the real snoozer. I, 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 I almost didn't want to show it to you this morning because it might put you back to sleep. It's just a profile for facets. But uh, it's really uh, much more compelling when you see it on the page and you can talk about the filtering activity that somebody can do. Third good idea, speak their language. We are notorious for not talking to our audience the way that we should, that they can understand. Um, and it is our job, and I don't want to make it sound like you know you have to sell this stuff, but you do need to have some empathy for them. Try to think of them as a user. I mean, they, they are a consumer, sort of. I don't know. I try to talk myself into that. I'm never really sure if I believe it or not. But instead of talking about trees, why not uh, see if the design team can help you out, maybe show them a sitemap comp. This is directory navigation. That's what the tree is. Instead of talking about attribution, facets, and filtering, and value pairs, why not show them a comp or a wireframe with that actually you know, on the page, and you could talk about the experience? And instead of talking about the systems that create logic, why not just clearly say, oh, well, there's this did you mean functionality? And if you don't have examples of these that you've built, I know there are tons of examples out there. So you can communicate that to the client who, who's going to pay for it. You can communicate it to the design team that's in, has to put it together, and you can communicate it to the developers and say this is the way it should function. Use shared references, meaning talk about things that they've been reading, things that they've been hearing. How many are tired of hearing of the long tail? How many are tired of hearing it from your clients? No? Every, your clients don't talk about this? Come on, you guys are just tired. Uh, and I've had clients the past two years talk about this, and I'm like, yeah, they're not long tail. What do you think you are, iTunes? And then I see their catalogs, and like, whoa, they really are. If you look at the sales, there are these nice distributions that are just Chris Anderson should be writing about. Um, Paradox of Choice, you know, this is another one. And this is really great because uh, Barry Schwartz makes a really good argument in his book about how we can become overloaded by just having too much information. It's full of research. And if you can just tell them, like, well, you know, this is all about narrowing choices and enabling decision making, you know, bring the book up, people will nod their heads. And talk about results. So think ahead of time of how you can, can gather up good um, facts uh, and also uh, other kinds of data points to make your argument as the data person. In my case, increased conversion. And I think that you can look at other metrics that are kind of like conversion, so people completing processes, people finding documents or printing these documents that they're looking for, reduced calls to help desk, reduced calls to staff to find documents. Those numbers are out there. You probably have a lot of teams that are digging around for analytics. Be their friends, and, and, and they, they'll love your input as well, because they, they want to know, you know what kinds of uh, things that they should be looking for as well. So. A lot of times you can get somebody else to do this stuff for you. Also look for uh, quantitative, you know, other indications for good user experience. Reduce clicks to page, time spent on page, reduce page abandonment. But also I think you should look at qualitative and also just kind of cheerleading kind of material. Find success stories, you know, whether they're scenarios or industry reviews. Email those around. Use them in your presentations. Call attention to site awards that mention things like ease of navigation. It's very easy to find what you're looking for. That's the work that you did. So you want to say, hey, you know, we're doing our job and users think so. And use those testing videos and quotes because you paid for them. You sat through those studies. Put them in front of people so that they can hear people saying, oh, there it is. It's right. It's just so easy. It just flies down. We really like this. For this is obvious in my case doing e-commerce and 
you just have to test with real users because we have catalogs that are set up by buyers and merchandisers and they're not real users and they don't think like real users. It's a real barrier for online shopping experiences. So we put this stuff in front of folks and see how they do. Because taxonomies are implicit organizations. They're organizations of implicit meaning. So they work when we kind of understand what the structure's all about. They don't work when it's set up in a way that we can't figure out. So involve them implicitly, explicitly. Explicitly is the stuff that we do, card sorting and usability testing. Implicitly, web analytics, and also personas and scenarios. So you can leverage work that's already been done. And, and just keep this stuff pretty simple. I, I don't know if there's a magic or silver bullet for this kind of stuff. This is the Mind Canvas. I don't know how many of you use the Mind Canvas. It's awesome. Um, very easy to use. This is just a little Flash app that you uh, set up categories and then you let people sort them and you just put it out there on the web and gather all kinds of good quantitative data. What's really awesome about this is you can use this using user view or something or you can have people come into a lab and have them do this and talk to them while they're doing it, get that qualitative, do this with about eight users or uh, just to see kind of what their thinking is and then see the patterns. So then you're at least informed by why they're putting things in certain places. Um, and there's some good techniques that we could talk further about this during discussion or, or later on about the kinds of things that you should be testing um, to get more bang for your buck. And then the last point, and I always debate about putting this at front because this is probably the most important for the work that you've done, is planning the future with governance. You really need to lay out why everything was done. Here's the logic of what we created. Here are some guidelines and policies for maintaining that over time because most of you don't do that. You're handing off these designs and you're hoping that things don't break. Um, and you can expect your client to understand the difference between implementation and design. I don't think it's a very fair, uh, I mean, it is fair to expect them, but I mean, it's just not reality. So try to cover your bases by leaving a, a nice leave behind that explains what you did and why you did it. I always connect this stuff to navigation and user experience elements so they understand the, where the data is connecting to the user experience. Because they will be looking at the, at the website or the intranet or whatever every other day. And this way, when something comes up or there's an issue, they'll be able to relate that, hopefully. And then maintenance, uh, if you don't have owner, if you don't have a change regime or a schedule for reviewing, if you don't have quality control, there's your, your business and your client, if you don't own it, should have a strategy for the taxonomy and metadata work for at least a year. This stuff is, like I said, resource intensive and expensive and they need to plan it out. You need to tell them that and you need to sell them on governance. If you're going into a situation where things are kind of ugly, you, you want to get with the, with the main stakeholders that own this stuff and kind of let them tell you all their pain and say, yes, there, and there are some simple but clever ways of, of handling that. And one of them is getting them to agree on an owner. Um, particularly the larger body of information you have, the more people that are working to maintain it and to keep it running, so the more uh, you have to have somebody who actually owns. And that means saying yes and no. And that means um, basically you're going to be stepping on some toes, and that's why you want to align yourself with whoever's at the top. So what I'm talking about really for information architects and folks who do taxonomy is a balanced approach to the way that you look at your work and the way that you work with others. So as you do taxonomy work, you should understand that it's guiding the information architecture, the visual design, interaction design, and also development. 
It is informing the analytics that will be done <coughs> later on, as well as the user testing that will be done as part of development. And also as a part of the business strategy. This is something that the business needs to know that's very important. But on the flip side of this, you should also think that user experience, as it's being formed, guides the content and assets that are necessary, the taxonomy work that you're doing and the metadata work that you're doing and you're helping to facilitate. It also informs the analytics that are being performed and need to be performed and also the way they're implemented because we all know that analytics don't work if they're not uh, tagged correctly and set up correctly. You can get in front of this. So three months down the road when they're like, we want to see how well we did on this and like, oh, we got to go back and do, that was never done in development. So you can get ahead of that and um, look like a hero. And then it also informs the user testing that you could be doing. You need to know what it is that the user is going to be interacting with, and that'll help you strategically um, test with the users. You're just not simply doing the same thing over and over. You need to think about what it is, the kinds of tasks, the kinds of information you need to put in front of folks. And also user experience, it's part of governance, because that thing's going to be out there alive and, and living, so you want people to have checkpoints over various points of time to go look at the website, to look at the intranet, and to ping things to see how they're holding up. So I'm going to kind of close with just saying that and I'm thinking about this. I think user experience is going to become more important for taxonomy and metadata professionals. Why do I say this? How many people here are interested in how folksonomy and other kinds of user-generated content can help your taxonomic work? Right? This is one thing that I've been hearing over and over this weekend, the theme of this uh, <clears throat> conference is experiencing information. On the left-hand side here, the sporting goods side, Dick's, web, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, you can do some nice filtering here with facets, the way you, with brand and price, but you can also look at what all the feedback that's come in from users, and you can filter like why people like it. It's easy to store. You know, if you live in a small apartment, that's something that's really important to you. So you want to see the products that somebody tagged that. But things have gotten a little bit more complicated because you're not just worrying about that interface. You've got the interface of how do you collect that information and how do you format it, restrict it. And also if you have professionals tagging stuff while it's getting into uh, the system that are more, you know, they're, they're the professional trained folks, not just your, your web user. Think about the interface and think about the information that they need to have at their fingertips. I love iTunes for many reasons, and I was, when I was working on this presentation, I just thought, you know what? When I sit and listen to music, there is almost nothing here that is not data. The only thing I guess you could say is not data is the music, right? Because that's the thing that you're, you know, you're enjoying. Uh, technically it is, because it's ones and zeros. But this is all metadata, and this drives the experience. Um, whether you're playing by your favorite list, your favorites by how you've ranked them, or a genre, which the genres drive me crazy because they're always wrong. I was looking at this stuff like alternative and punk. I just, I don't know, are the shins alternative and punk? I don't hear any punk in there, but maybe they are. Um, and, and what do those even mean to me? But I can go in and change them if I feel like it. And just, you know, you can set up playlists. But then think of the store. Uh, it's great because if you click on the flaming lips, you go, they have this nice experience. This stuff on the right is just brilliant. It's all these facets of the Flaming Lips. So you can look at what other listeners have bought if they, if they own the, the Flaming Lips. And you can look at their top videos, and you can look at essentials and, and other playlists that people put together. You can look at their top songs and ringtones and all this other stuff. 
uh, that they've created about the Flaming Lips to help you find more music. Because the iTunes catalog is huge and you can't really just navigate it with a tree. I've, I've, I've tried it, it doesn't really work. But then think about this stuff that's coming up. How many of you have gone on Amazon on your iPhone and checked out an order or ordered something? Or your Palm, or this is your ambient foundability stuff here, right? Um, kudos to uh, providers like Amazon that are creating iPhone you know, websites for the iPhone. But the functionality is different, and you don't have the flyout with all the categories. So now your, your work has just changed. And this is going to become more of the work that we do in the future. Um, and, and just think about hopping on the thing on iTunes when you're on a wireless network to buy a song. So taxonomy is strategy. It informs every group, every piece of work that's being done to create a user experience. And I think if you follow some of these guidelines, you know, good ideas just a little bit, it will really, really be good for you as a practitioner. But uh, it, you know, if it, even if it's not good for you, it definitely will be good for your user. So, thank you very much. Great, thank you. We have about 15 minutes for questions. Here's one over here. And, and I'd like us to be a little more, you know, sharing, show and tell, you know. Hi. In hey. case you've got um, a contradiction between taxonomy for users and taxonomy for uh, manufacturer, how do you resolve this? Because sometimes categorization could be so different that you cannot even create a mapping. You, you will have to create different structures. So you create a separate site for the owner of the products and the... Yeah, I think um, if, if I understand your question correctly, um, so you're saying that if one group understands it differently than the other, is that? So you're creating, uh, creating a website for external buyers, right? Uh, customers, yes, customers. for B2C. Right. The owner of the store wants to know analytics. However, the owner of the store thinks in different categories. Completely. All yeah. the products are categorized differently. Right. And that's what's important for him or her. Right. Right? So how do you resolve this? You create two separate taxonomies or? No, no. We have one. Um, well, it gets a little bit complicated because the, the actual system that runs pricing has a completely different structure. And it usually is mapped to brick and mortar. Um, but then what that, that's translated for the web. So we have one. The struggle for us is uh, getting the business to allow us to create a tree that reflects the user's needs. And what you, you just simply have to do over time is, is convince them that, it's, that their version's not shoppable. So some of this happens in usability testing. So we have these young women in. They're on this site for, for uh, women's clothing. And oh, and Jared's right. So if you have eye tracking, it's pretty awesome, because that will get the VPs and the CEO in the room. They won't come to your regular testing. So they're in there watching these ladies use this system. And the VP of uh, merchandising is standing there. And this woman's like, I don't know. I don't know what's in this. I don't know what are knits and what are wovens. I don't know which category I'm supposed to go into. And he looked, at, he looked at us. He's like, you mean to tell me young women today do not know the difference between knits and wovens? <laughs> and it was like, well, she does. She's not a VP merchandiser. At it, you know, This isn't what she do. She does. She's 22. She's going to school. She's you know, busy. So <laughs> that is, that's one. You have to create that empathy. And they won't have that. That's your job. You, you simply have to do that. And that's, you just go back to. 
making decisions and user experience and who's using this website, it's the user. So, and then that, you just show that distinction and then over time get them to understand that we really need to do it another way. You mentioned the, the issue of um, uh, the choices we have and it, in the paradox of choice and I would almost call it an annoyance of choice. Uh, uh, in, uh, I'm feeling, my feeling is that uh, with developing very detailed taxonomies, we are really pushing users to make these decisions, make them very uncomfortable, making the experience more and more granular rather than um, experience. When you say experience as a term, I see it as a holistic experience, right. but taxonomies build very granular experience. Can you comment on that? Yes, so um, great point. Great point, and particularly when you're doing your work and you feel like you're really into these minute uh, category distinctions and things, try to keep it as simple as possible when you're, when you're creating something. Don't expect that somebody, if you've sat through user testing, you'll, you'll gain empathy for this, but no matter how intricate a tree is, and this is why we use facets so much and metadata to drive experience, because um, you know, no matter how smart a tree is laid out, if it's, if it's too complicated for somebody, you're, you're absolutely right. They're, it's going to become frustrating. So the thing to do is to try to get people where they're going by the way that they know to go. And so that's where the user research comes in. That's where trying to put yourself in their shoes. And that's where you should always try to use a website where you're on the phone and trying to sign some paperwork or whatever. To put yourself in their, in their shoes. Right. Hi. Hey, Mimi. Hi. Uh, actually, two questions. Um, what, the first one is, for, for like the ACE hardware project or like the Dick's Sporting Goods project when you worked on taxonomy, like typically how much time does it take you to come up with the taxonomy for something like that? Right. Like how much time do you spend on Okay, it? they're very large catalogs. They're over 2,000 categories. And then we had a lot of profiles that we wanted to create. Uh, the different sites had different numbers of, they, we took their top categories, the ones that really needed filtering. We also used filtering to collapse a lot of categories, especially in hardware because they had broken out like wrenches by sizes and then type. And so you had the combination, so you had 16 different categories of wrenches. So you can just imagine this crazy navigation. We only needed one. So um, this goes, that's a really good point when you're looking at the kind of work that you have to do. And you know, we like to do good work and we want to do it right. You have to stop yourself because it will take forever. So we looked at the number of categories. We got as many players as we could involved. and we. We said, um, I think for both of those projects, they were done in less than three months. And um, is that, is and that that's just on the taxonomy actually piece or including benchmark. like the UX and everything else? What's that? Is that just on the taxonomy piece or including yeah. the UX and everything else? That's just taxonomy. And the taxonomy parts <coughs> run parallel to the user experience stuff. We try to get the taxonomy started early because right time UX starts, they're going to want your top level navigation. So you have to have that top part of the tree figured out. And you also have to have a strategy for the metadata because it's expensive. And the business needs to make a decision of how, many, how much they're willing to spend for this stuff and then talk to them about phasing. Business loves phasing. Think of phasing. But uh, think, of, you know, and it's, think of what you have to do and then break it out to what can be done later. Because as we all know, and I didn't put this in here, but taxonomies are living things. It's the other thing you have to communicate to the client. It's never completely done. I always get that. When are the branches going to be done? They're never done. But, um, I tell that to the people doing the work, and they understand that. Um, VPs always try to say something like, oh, it's 90% done, and we'll be, we'll be good to go, and that kind of thing. They don't like that answer. but. <laughs>
Yes. Um, my second question is kind of, I guess, expanding on the, the previous lady's um, question is, as far as um, you know, how deep a taxonomy goes, is there any sort of general, do you have like a general sort of recommendation where like if it's beyond you know, X layers or four branches deep that it's just gets too yeah, difficult for the There customer? are different opinions about that. I don't have my own opinion about it. It seems like certain, certain things call for lots of clicks and certain things don't. I, I would try to reduce them as much as possible. So, uh, but that, that doesn't, it's not really a benchmark for you. I think each organization kind of needs to set that up. You can get some of that from user testing and you could, uh, there's some math to it. Uh, Joseph Bush on his website, uh, Taxonomy Strategies, has some good stuff that we'll talk about. Nodes, breadth and depth, and the actual, you know, we're talking about something that exponentially grows each time you add something. So it's a, it's a good thing to keep in mind. The catalogs that I've worked on tend to be pretty big. It's really hard to keep them shallow. Thank you. Yep, thanks. Thanks, thanks, Dave. Great presentation. Uh, my name is Keith Instone. I work for IBM. Um, I think you did a great job of tying user experience to taxonomy. Thank you. Um, one thing that we struggle with internally, though, is um, presenting it as a, as a user-focused taxonomy because we have a lot of taxonomies already, but they tend to be um, set up by the sales folks to track yes. revenue. So yes. we say, look, this organization scheme of the industries that IBM sells to doesn't make sense to our users on the web. We need to change that. And they say, well, we can't change that. That's how we report up to Sam Palmazano, right? This is how we track our revenue. So could you help, help us tie taxonomy to not just user experience, but taxonomy is the business? Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Keith, you bring up a really good point, which is uh, at the table yesterday we were talking about why Web 2.0 will never completely get rid of taxonomy. One of them is the business because the business has to organize all this stuff in order to do sales reporting when it comes to e-commerce. So we could never have something completely driven. I, I, maybe we could, but um, they are very comfortable with having these departments so they can then see which business initiatives are working. Because in their mind, that's, that's super, super important, right? Um, for us, there's something that there's a cheat that I had mentioned before that the system that owns the actual uh, product IDs and, and has the, the SKU information and pricing and all that that generates all that sales stuff is a separate system. And that's generally, that's usually tied to the brick and mortar system. Not always, but it can be. Um, we have another layer that sits up that that drives the user experience. So we can remap things. So we, we can, we don't have exactly the same problem that you have. I would try to, you, you need to make the argument, you know, as, as compellingly as you can with user testing and analytics, or just point out stuff that doesn't make any sense, you know, uh, from a user's perspective, and then say, is there a way that you see, this is IBM, we're really smart here, we, this is, we do software, right? Is there some way we can do both? One for you that's, that's in an intranet or is in a dashboard or something that gives you what you need, but the, the user, layer, the presentation layer for the general public is different. Is there a way that we could do that? Um, the thing is, is that you're creating work, right? And so there needs to be a compelling reason to do that. It should be testing. It shows that people don't like this or the other. So. Time for one last question, or right over here. Uh, you know, when you're building the taxonomy, you said that you were working with users. Are you looking at competitors or you know, uh, 
general uh, indexes like to uh, to come up with uh, right that's a great point so the question is did I do I I work with users but do I look at competitors we do a deep competitive analysis to see what other folks are calling the same items which is pretty compelling when you see um, it's, it's kind of weird because something you'll read and you're like that doesn't make any sense to me and then you see all the other competitors doing it. It's not necessarily the reason because that means all the other businesses. I love Wikipedia. I go to Wikipedia and see what people call things to help me figure out um, how to classify things or put things in a bucket. Uh, and just crawling around on the net, just looking for how people call things. Um, but you definitely you can do that with users. You can run surveys. You can use the Mind Canvas. Mind Canvas is kind of great too because when somebody takes something and throws it miscellaneous, it has them label it. And that gives you great data on the language that they're using. Also, I, and I didn't mention this, I briefly said analytics, check your search logs, you're, and especially zero search logs, because you're going to see what people are using and they're not getting results for. That will tell you what thing you should be mapping for, the misspellings you should be careful of. And you should do this according to your catalog and how many users, but weekly, monthly, quarterly. Um, but search analytics, they're, they're great for that. Uh, Google Analytics, anything that kind of you can look at trends over time and over a, bo a population is, is a really good idea. All right. mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks, everyone. Hand for Dave.